Welcome to Kibbe on Liberty. This week, we have Tim Draper, who is a venture capitalist, freedom fighter, rabble rouser, uh, sometimes questionable character who has bet on some of the most interesting companies in the world today. Welcome, Tim. Hey, that was the best, that was the best introduction I think I've ever had. And it was quick, to the point, and it hit, hit on all my sort of key items. So thank you for that. I'm looking forward to being on this show. So I want to start with uh, um, the thing that consumes all of us right now, which is is the government's response to the virus. And and uh, you and I and maybe a dozen other people uh, spoke up quite early when it was very uncomfortable to do so. I, you, you had a tweet on March 14th that got you into a lot of hot water questioning the wisdom of lockdowns and not questioning whether or not we should treat the virus seriously, but whether or not uh, locking down the economy would, would create all sorts of unintended consequences, poverty and, and starvation and broken healthcare systems and all that stuff. Um, why did you speak up so early? And I hate being right, but we have three times as many homeless in San Francisco that we did before they locked us down. We got 40 million people unemployed in the U.S. and 400 million worldwide. Uh, that and every 5,000 unemployed creates uh, a lot of poverty, a lot of suicides, a lot of, I mean, we really, I think we were right in saying that the, the cure is worse than the disease back then. And I think we're even more right now. And I think the government has gone through um, a learning process, and hopefully they've learned from their mistake. <clears throat> I don't think you'll ever see a politician admitting that it was a mistake. Instead, they'll sort of backpedal and sort of say, oh, yeah, good, we finally were rid of this disease, and now you can go back to life as normal, but we still want you to wear masks and stay six feet apart and all that stuff. It's, it's not healthy. This is not good for people. It's not good for society. And particularly in a country that says we are the land of the free and the home of the brave, we're running scared. We're the land of the meek and the, the home of the fearful. This is not healthy. And, uh, and this, we are letting this virus in effect destroy 200 years of making this country. This is worse than I ever imagined it would be. And I said the cure was gonna be worse than the disease back then. I had no idea how, how bad it was gonna get. And you know, I'm always projecting out uh, ahead because I, I spend my life <clears throat> as a venture capitalist meeting with people who are saying, um, you know, five years from now, we're gonna do this. 10 years from now, we're gonna do this. Um, I don't have as tight a feeling of what's going on right now in the world as a lot of people who are like have given their brain to the news. Um, and that's what they do, by the way. It's like they're, they're, they're just parroting what they hear in the news and they think that that's what they're supposed to do. You know, I think really we are in a we are in bad shape. And I think some governments are even taking advantage of this to control the population even more than they did before. And, uh, you know, it used to be that this was the land of the free and the government was us. It worked for us. 
And now it feels like we work for the government and the government's telling us what to do. They're, they're, oh, you got to put a mask on. You got to stay six feet away. We're not going to let you open your office. We're not going to let you eat in a restaurant. We're not going to let you travel on airplanes. We're not going to let you do all this stuff. And they're thinking they're saving lives. They're killing people. And, uh, and, and now I'm, I'm, um, I'm looking, I'm saying, okay, finally they're lightening up, but they're leaving us with 40 million people unemployed in this country. This is really, really awful. And we're supposed to be free and brave, which means, hey, take the heat. You know, don't, don't worry about, you know, a few germs flying around. Maybe if you're at risk, you know, first, I think it is government that should uh, should inform, they should educate, they should do those things, but they should not regulate, they should not tell us what to do. Look, if I'm, I am over 60, if I feel that I'm at risk, it's, it's on me to go protect myself and put myself in isolation and so that I don't have, it's not on you government to tell me what to do. You can inform me. You can say, hey, look, you're going to be better off, less likely to get this thing than if you do these things. Great. Thank you for that. But I would rather die than give up the freedom that we had that my, for my grandchildren and their children and their children. I want that freedom. I want it back. And it is driving me crazy. And all of a sudden today, you're supposed to, government's about to, put a muzzle on Twitter. What's that about? That's the First Amendment. That's free speech. What the heck are they thinking? This is this is scary beyond belief for me. And it should be for you. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's deeply disappointing to me that that so-called constitutional conservatives, Republicans, civil libertarians on the left, free speech used to be this thing that we didn't have to argue about that much, that everybody understood that that we were allowed to speak up, we were allowed to question authority, we were allowed to question the sort of, you know, the existing uh, uh, establishment paradigm for how to treat COVID. And, and now it's mostly Republicans going after Twitter, having had the Democrats sort of badger Twitter into this at the same time, I don't know who stands for free speech anymore. Yeah, and you'd think media would. You'd think yeah. the media would be going, hey, we need our free speech. Uh, but they're saying, well, you know, maybe we can put a damper on that social media who aren't giving the straight scoop. And, and we know we're the straight scoop. You know, they have that feeling like, well, we, we check all our facts and we do all of our work. And those people who are just typing things into Twitter, they don't do their work. They're just putting out opinions. Well, hey, so what? Let's let those opinions fly. If those opinions catch on, great. And if they're true, great. If they're false or they don't catch on, let them fall to the bottom. And you can do that with software. You can do it with technology. You don't have to do it with a, you know, a governing sledgehammer. You don't have to force people to do something. You can do it with incentives or uh, or create the the right environment or or do it with software. Like, hey, if you're Twitter, 
and you feel like you're not providing enough valid information, uh, let the things that are true rise to the top and the things that are fake, push them away. Uh, that's not hard to do in software. So why, why do we, we really need our government to say, no, it's free speech, but no, free speech is free speech. You're either a free country or you're not a free country. And, and that is a very clear line. And the free country can talk bad about their government. They can talk bad about their fellow man. They can talk bad about whatever. And you're allowed to do it. And people have to, you know, have to kind of learn from it. I mean, boy, when people talk bad about me, I learn from it. I got all sorts of heat for saying that the cure is worse than the disease or could be worse, worse than the disease. But it turns out they're kind of coming back and going, you know, you were right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, hey, it was free speech that allowed me to put that out there so that maybe we're we're saving some lives by by uh, pulling in the date that we we uh, are opening up. I mean, maybe just that by by putting that out into the atmosphere, people were able to look at things from that point of view. And look, the more point of points of view you get, the more you'll understand people, the more you'll understand how uh, the world can work and what the opportunities are, and also how different and wonderful we all are. That's one of those great things that people don't appreciate. We're all so different and, and we're all so wonderful. And we've, we've, we've survived evolution and we've survived all these different ways of going through different things. We're the survivors. We, we're interesting. People are interesting. And the world has always been this tribal thing. Um, I, I've been going on and on. Do you have a question? <laughs> I, uh, well, I want to I I float a theory past you because, because I agree with you on, on, on Twitter. And I'm old enough to remember when, when Facebook and the Obama campaign's ability to successfully manipulate Facebook and micro-target voters was very much a celebrated thing. And then, then, of course, Trump took over Twitter. And it seems part of this whole thing is the political power of social media and, and the democratization of information. But I, but I think to your earlier point, I think, I think the, uh, the old media, the incumbents, the Walter Cronkites of the world that used to tell us that's the way it is, that they're nervous because citizen journalists can put out one tweet and sort of do their job for them. So I feel like this is sort of the uh, the old information uh, monopolists sort of trying to grab back power from that democratization and that clash between between citizens and and empowered citizens with technology versus incumbent institutions is something that you deal with on all your stuff. Yeah, I think you're. I think that's right up where I'm thinking. And a couple of things came to mind. We fortunately we have this thing that's this new decentralized world. The world used to be very tribal, and uh, and then all of a sudden the internet happened, and the geographic borders meant less and less as our businesses grew and our, our the world's wealth grew and the quality of life grew and all these great things happened. Well, now they're trying to clamp those things back down and put the genie back in the bottle and, and go back to tribalism, or a lot of a lot of governments are. The smart governments are saying, hey, we're open. 
come here, do do your work through us because we're we're open. We don't, uh, you know, you can come and go as you please. You can build your business. You can do whatever. Um, but we have a new company that's called Unstoppable Domains, and this may be the savior of free speech, which is it's unstoppable in that you can go get um, free people dot crypto and you can put anything you want on there and it cannot be taken down so there is now technology that is unstoppable uh, you can go to unstoppable domains you can get your domain and you can put anything you want up there and uh and the the uh, free speech police <laughs> which is a little yeah. bit of a my uh, my producer is feverishly writing that down as we speak because uh, we've as, as as I think a lot of people promoting uh, freedom left right and center however you want to define it have have run into the the censors and and we've yet to have any of our YouTube videos taken down but they they will they will block them or they will they will put a warning on top of them and and they'll they'll try to correct all that all of which as you know suppresses the the, the traffic and, and the ability of people to, to find the things they want to do. Um, why don't we take a step back and for for people that don't know a little bit about your your sort of investment history, um, you you have sort of this uh, um, very unusual way of, of choosing winners and losers. And I'm sure you've chosen a few losers in your day, but but you've also been early on on things like Hotmail, Skype, and Tesla, and, and talk about a couple things that you're most proud of that you bet on early and they turned out to be awesome. Yeah, we lose about half of our investments. So uh, clearly, I, you know, I, if you if this were a, a school, if I were talking to uh, people at school, I'd be somewhere between a D and an F. But um, but the good thing about venture capital is if you get it right, it goes very right and it makes up for all the mistakes you make. Um, I'd say the ones I'm the most proud of are um, Hotmail. I came up with the idea of, uh, they came up with the idea of, um, of web-based, free web-based email. And I came up with the idea of viral marketing, which was to put a message at the bottom of every email that was live that people could click and sign up and it spread hotmail faster than any consumer product had ever been spread before and it gave the whole world free communication that was amazing and then skype did the same thing with video and audio and i actually got to be on the first video skype call in the history of the world um, now it's so easy but back then they had to cut off a hundred thousand audio calls to get the bandwidth to put it together. So I'm very proud of those two. I'm also proud because I was the first Silicon Valley venture capitalist to go to China and to invest in China. And I was able to back Baidu, which was the, the uh, Google for China. And it was a fabulous success, but it also uh, brought all that information to these Chinese who had been living in the dark. Um, and that was a fabulous investment. And then Tesla was fun because it had been 50 years since an American car company had been successfully started. And there, there was a junkyard of, of startups that tried. Uh, and, but I kind of had a good sense. 
that electric cars were going to take off because I, I went in one, uh, a hobbyist took me for a little ride and they had to strap me in five with five points. And I thought, well, you know, it's just an electric car. And it took off like a rocket, stopped on a dime. The guy could spin it around. It was an amazing experience. And I thought, oh boy, this is better than a, than a combustion engine. It, stop, it starts and stops much faster. It's so much more fun and interesting. And uh, then we figured out who the best electric car company would be. And uh, we were lucky uh, that we thought Tesla had the best technology and it did, it turned out. The other technologies were big battery technologies that blew up. These were many small batteries that were all interconnected. And, uh, and then, um, and then I'm, I'm proud of, uh, of the transformation of finance that I've gotten involved in. I knew finance was going to go through some sort of a major change. And just the way I think governments are going to go through a major change now. But I knew finance would go through a major change. I didn't know how it was going to happen. So I backed Robinhood and Carta and uh, AngelList and, and then uh, a big bet on Bitcoin and a lot of the other cryptos. Uh, and so I, I'm very proud of that because we are process process of transforming banking, finance, commerce. Uh, and that looks like it's going to be really interesting. It's also created a currency in Bitcoin that is global and open and transparent, uh, very different from a dollar where you, you just saw a dollar drop 20% in value. I mean, it should be because we printed nine trillion of them, you know, just, you know, like this because of the virus and poof. 20% of the value you had in your dollars has just disappeared. You may not know it yet, um, but it did. And, and there has been a movement toward Bitcoin because of that. Uh, in fact, a lot of people, when they were trapped in their homes, started experimenting. They, they put Bitcoin wallet ex, has been, they've been exploding. The number of Bitcoin wallets out there is just, the numbers are just going crazy. And, uh, and people are trying new technologies, other new technologies like VR and remote medicine and things that um, we didn't think were, we made investments in, but we didn't think would happen for a number of years. So in some ways, this COVID thing has, by being trapped in place, it has compressed uh, the consumer. The consumer has, has jumped across the chasm much faster. So that if there's any silver lining to that, uh, that's the silver lining. So you talked about um, uh, sort of liberating the Chinese people with technology that allowed them access to, to information and got them out of the dark. Um, but that 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 sort of clash between the way that the Chinese government uses technologies now to to rate their citizens and surveil them and control them, it seems like this this and and I want to talk a lot more about Bitcoin because I think. I think this is sort of that test of of what's going to happen. But what is your attitude about you? You can look at the you can look at the dark side of technology, the way that governments use it to control people and 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 sort of persecute them. And I think a lot of that's going on in China today, um, versus the sort of liberating effects 
of of having information and knowledge and being able to self-organize and all the things that and I, I tend to be the romantic on that side of things but but what do we do about governments that use this technology to target us um other than overthrow them <laughs> um we have uh look i was i was there at the very beginning uh when dung chow peng said some of us are going to get rich first and we're going to open the country and he did and he created a free market that was opened up free market for more people in the world than any any other leader had ever done and that free market made china flourish through this incredible boom and uh, the people in china went from living off like one bowl of rice a day to living high and large and uh, and uh, being able to travel and doing all these things. Well, then they they had it going. They had this the universe in their hands. And all of a sudden they get this leader who's a control freak and he's he's he clamps down on the borders and he doesn't let money leave and he makes all the Chinese companies become instead of Cayman or US become Chinese companies so then he can find them and and control them and and uh, and the entrepreneurial community was so thriving and so exciting, and all of a sudden it's just been kiboshed. Uh, that that has happened, and and I think that these are two different things. One is yes, technology can be used for good or bad. It can be used to control people or free people. Uh, when it's used to free people, people get wealthy. Uh, when it's used to control people, people get poor, and uh, and you get uh, the, you you now have a Chinese government that I mean God, I have no idea why they let this guy become president for life or whatever he made himself, but maybe it's just because they're willing to sort of let all this stuff happen, just the way the Americans are letting the government tell them to wear a mask and stay six feet away from each other and not leave and not move and not, yeah. I mean, I, I, was I think, I think I was, the, the sheep, uh, the sheep will walk right off a cliff. I was actually, and, uh, and the rest of us will get sucked in by that same, you know, that sucking sound that happens when they all walk off the cliff. And hopefully a few of us will, you know, keep our heads and think for ourselves and, uh, and and keep pushing for freedom you know and i i hear the military saying freedom isn't free we have to do that they are so right i had no idea i i grew up in a country where i felt like the you know the government was us and it worked for us and everything was great and now i feel like i'm working for the government and it was like 2004 that it all happened and that may have been sarbanes-oxley or whatever all of a sudden our government in the u.s became this this uh, haughty, arrogant, we know better than you do, uh, re heavily regulatory organization that, um, that, that forces people to do something that happened to be a law 80 years ago and somehow they tie it all together so that you have to work under more and more and more of these laws. There were so many breakthroughs recently, you know, Okay, you go back to the internet. Our government was brilliant. They laid off. They let the internet run 
It was a free market. They created this incredibly free market. And that created that huge boom and all these amazing companies, Amazon, Google, whatever, they all came from that free, open, unregulated world, the internet. Well, what happened this time? Bitcoin shows up and all of these cryptocurrencies and the ability to do airdrops or the ability to have a perfect ledger on a blockchain or the ability to do smart contracts. And all of a sudden we're, we're dealing with some regulation and they're somehow tying a regulation from 80 years ago to what has to happen now. And all of a sudden airdrops before they're even tested are illegal. And, and you, you're ruining the chances for us to continue to lead the world in technology. Anybody who's doing airdrop technology, they had to, they had to leave. They probably went to Malta or Singapore or Estonia or someplace where, where it was going to be okay or Japan. Um, so they're not so, going to go to, they're not going to go to China. They're not going to go to the U S yeah. so, so that, and that could be a big technology airdrop technology. I got, that's how they should do all the, if, if we're going to do foreign aid, do it with airdrops. Don't give it to the leader. Yeah. It's um, it's going to happen one way or another. And that's, that's one of the frustrations I think governments have is that it feels like free people in technology, even in some of these very authoritarian uh, regimes, are always one step ahead of, of the tyrants. And it might be a little hyperbolic to compare uh, certain governors, maybe the governor of California, certainly the governor of New York with uh, President Xi in, in China. But they, they seem to be feeding on the power at this point. There's, there's really no more logic about the lockdowns except that they're going to do it. And there's there's more than a couple of politicians have sort of let slip out that this is an opportunity not to uh, cure the American people of a virus, but to change the institutional structure in a way that expands government power. And and that's where I wanna go with this. And and you mentioned Bitcoin, and I think I think the opportunity here is, is is substantial in a way that um, maybe uh, Barack Obama's chief of staff would have been proud of. Never let a crisis go to waste, right? And that the Fed is is dropping all of this fake money. Uh, they're not even dropping it. They're injecting it through um, favored corporations and, and banks and things like that. Two point three trillion. Um, that's going to. Yeah, make- I, I think of it as like um, a snake eating a rat. And then the rat going through the snake's body, and eventually it gets dumped out to wherever that snake happened to be at the time. It's that money is not showing up. I mean, if you really wanted to spread nine trillion dollars throughout your economy, you would either extend everybody's credit, give everybody a tax holiday, or um, or allow the but but just make it a general purpose hey here's what we're doing we're going to we're going to extend everybody's credit and we're going to give out a tax holiday and uh, the the industries we're not going to pick what's critical industry and not critical industry i mean please shutting down what you what you think is a critical industry not may not be the same as what i think is a critical industry um and about the politicians, they're they're just being politicians. I I look and I think, 
are they, is this on purpose, taking advantage of a crisis to try to control people, or is it on purpose taking advantage of a crisis to become more popular? And I would argue that it's the latter, and the longer they can keep it going, the more people will know their names. Um, I think in some ways it has been very difficult for them. It's a tough thing to do to make a call like this, particularly once the governors took over. Um, and by the way, I think, you know, I don't like that Trump's somehow changing free speech, but I did like how he handled the crisis. For two weeks, he said, okay, we'll do it for two weeks, then we'll leave it up to the states. The states should have followed the same model. They should have either said, okay, we're going to let you go, or we're going to push it down to the counties and the cities and the towns and let them figure out how they want to handle it. But if, but a lot of the states just sort of kept it at the state level. And I don't think that's a healthy way to go. And, uh, and I'm just hoping that the politicians are just doing it to keep high name ID and they're not doing it to try to control the population. I, I think they, you know, I think they're they're good-hearted. I think they're trying the best they can. They may not have seen that. They may not have weighed the pros and cons the way I would have. I mean, I weigh those pros and cons, and I say, you know, hey, I think we let the virus spread. We get herd immunity, and and I'm over 60, so maybe I'm at risk doing that. But then on the other hand. I, I want businesses to stay open. I want people to keep traveling. I want them to keep going to restaurants. I want that. I mean, we build up this amazing life and it's been torn down in three months. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And I, th I think your point that, that politicians are just being politicians and, and they face incentives. They want to be popular. They definitely don't want to get blamed if something goes wrong. So they're sort of locked in this, this bet that they made because they... They, you know, and they have to claim victory. Yeah. They have to claim like this is we've been victorious. We've beaten the virus. We've, you know, World War Three was a virus and now we don't have it anymore. And it's effect. And it's because we made you wear those masks. And um, and I'm I'm actually hoping they do declare victory yeah. because then the masks come off. You know, maybe we wash our hands a little more than we did three months ago, but uh, I want herd immunity. <laughs> I want, I want the, I want enough of the, the masses and the hugs and the handshakes so that I, I get the herd immunity for the next one that comes along. Um, but you know, they, anyway, you had another question. So the, the, um, Let's let's hope that that's the, the transition because I, I've been trying to rack my brain. It's like, it's shocking how much damage has been done in just three months, as you just pointed out. And politicians, a lot of a lot of the lockdown governors are sort of trapped in this situation where they have to declare victory, but they also promise that not a single person would would suffer from the virus, which was never an an honest or realistic goal. Um, so the, the the question is moving forward, will free people be allowed to sort of reorganize and clean up the mess and get back to work? And there'll be a lot of business failures, but of course with every failure 
<clears throat> opportunity. My biggest fear is that those same politicians are going to micromanage the recovery, and that's even more dangerous than than how they broke the economy. Yeah, um, I ho- and I hope they hear you. Um, I think they need to uh, they ne- need to now rebuild the economy. They need to get, and they think, oh, the economy economy's fine. Stock market's gone up because of this. We got all this nine trillion dollars. It was free. Jumped right into the marketplace. Everything's fine. They're going to find that that's not really the case. There are going to be homeless at their doorstep. There are going to be, um, you, you know, you don't have 25% of your population not working and have a healthy economy. It just doesn't happen. Uh, so, and how do you create a great economy? You free it up, you open it up. And I feel like our politicians are at a fork in the road. And and neither the Democrats nor the Republicans know exactly which, which side they're going to take. They know they're going to take the opposite of what the other party takes. Um, so they don't know what they're going to be doing. But, um, and some believe in more in freedoms of one type and some believe in freedoms of another type. Now's the time to create those freedoms. Let them rip because you need more than anything, you need 40 million people re-employed in the U.S. Outside, you need 400 million re-employed. But you need them re-employed. And to get them re-employed, all the net new jobs always come from small business. You've got to get small businesses out there and, and let them go. Don't, don't put a bunch of regulations that came from big business down on the small businesses. You know, the... A big business can take a little bit of regulating. You know, they they've got they got people that go to government and talk to them about. They lobby them. They negotiate with them. They do all that. Well, the small business guy doesn't have a voice there, and he's the one who he or she is the one who's going to create all the net new jobs. So what do you do? You got to let the regulations go. You got to you got to say, okay, it's it's a fair and free economy. You guys get everybody employed. Then if something starts really going wrong, then you can come back and say, well, we got to regulate this or that or whatever. But it's got to go seriously wrong for a lot. It's got to mess up a lot of people before it's it's um, it's worse than what we've got with 40 million unemployed. This is a this is a real crisis. And politicians, you have a choice right now. You can be the freedom and bravery politician, or you can be the meek and paranoid and fear-driven politician. I I would go free and brave. It worked for 200-something years. I think you want freedom and bravery. And and bravery means, hey, there's some risk. You know, there is a risk here. But the outcome long term is going to be good for our grandchildren and their children, and their children. So you've 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 championed in three specific things that I'm thinking about, both in your investment strategy and your public policy opinions. And I want to go through all three of those as a sort of a, we, we could talk doom and gloom about how broken the economy is. But the finance system is broken. The education system is broken. 
And in a lot of ways, we've broken our healthcare system with a lot of uh, mandates prohibiting uh, 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 elective surgeries, and and a lot of California hospitals are on the verge of bankruptcy. Um, but you've talked. Let's let's talk about finance first, because this could be a perfect storm that that finally gets Bitcoin to where it needs to be as a meaningful alternative to traditional banking and funny money. Yeah, if you don't see Bitcoin as a good alternative by now, after they printed nine trillion dollars of funny money, uh, you, you really aren't thinking for yourself. Um, if you haven't put together a Bitcoin wallet yet, and particularly if you're somebody who listens to free the people, <laughs> you you aren't thinking. Get your Bitcoin wallet. Start start doing business. It's so easy. It's easy to get a wallet. It's easy to spend it. It's easy to trade it. It's easy to buy it, to sell it, to hold on to it. It's easy. Get it. Because otherwise you are going to be at the mercy of a government that just printed, okay, $9 trillion is 10% of all, get this, 10% of all currencies all throughout the world. Okay, there are only $90 trillion of currency out there. So they've just printed $9 trillion, 10% of all that. This is so much worse than what Argentina has constantly done and in Nigeria, where their currencies are dropping 30% a year like clockwork, you've got to see. I mean, how I don't know how many times I have to pound the table. You got to see the world is now open. There is now a currency that cannot be manipulated by politicians, and it's global and it's transparent, and you can go from country to country with it, and it's still worth what it was worth when it was you were in the other country. Um, Bitcoin is the way to go. It it is the way to go. And if you don't have a Bitcoin wallet, go get one today. Are you sticking you with use your... your brain? It's, it's this is so obvious. The other two you talk about, um, in some ways, it's completely tragic. It's like our entire education system is on its heels. Our entire healthcare system totally on its heels. Um, but it's forcing people to realize that they can get educated online. And so that's been really good for the online educators. And it's forcing people to realize that they can get doctored online or a lot of people, a lot of things can. But I think you're missing a lot in having education be purely online. You're missing that human connection. I. I remember I worked a lot harder for the teachers I liked than the teachers I didn't like. And and it, a lot of it be, was because I, I felt the energy of the teacher. Now, if I'm just looking at a video, I'm not feeling the energy of the teacher. I'm seeing somebody who can lay it out and probably lay it out in a better way than anybody else because you're the one with the highest ratings. Um, they can lay out the problem, but but whether I work hard to learn it or not is going to be really determined by a human, somebody who's there and with you and watching over you and making sure you're doing your work. Well, it's got to be it's got to be personalized, and then the the big problem with one size fits all government education is it it's a factory. It's not it's not a place where each individual child where where each one of their 
their their needs and, and abilities is sort of nurtured in a way. So what whatever the future is, it's got it's got to be more personalized. And and it, it does involve humans, but it probably also involves sort of an a la carte um, selection of some online learning, um, some social gathering and above all, like something that that parents are actually bought into. You know, um, yeah, I, I think government education gets me thinking, you know, we got to get back to pushing for school vouchers and that kind of thing where where the money follows the child and the parent chooses the school that's right for their child. Because if everybody, let's say everybody gets the exact same education all the way around the world, then we all kind of go, uh-huh, 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 and nobody creates anything new. There is no breakthrough. There is no progress. We, we're lucky if we stay alive as a society. Um, if you have a wide variety of educations out there, everybody can learn from each other. They can capitalize on putting two things together and trying something new. Uh, they can uh, they can move us forward. And uh, somebody who had an extraordinary education in biology and somebody who has an extraordinary education in chemistry can get together, and we get amazing biochemistry. Um, you get somebody who's, and then you get somebody who um, learns to be a carpenter, uh, and somebody who learns to be a plumber. Uh, they, they don't both need to learn how to be carpenters and plumbers. They need to learn one one trade and they need to get good at it. Um, it doesn't make sense for government to do all the educating, you know, maybe a couple of years at the very beginning or, you know, teach us about how important freedoms are and then let us go. <laughs> yeah. Teach us a, a language and then let us go. But beyond that, um, let's let a thousand flowers bloom in education. And I think that that'll make a big difference. And then if the government sees something that, hey, we should all know this, ed educate us, don't regulate us. Just very simply educate us. Say, hey, this is what the problem, here's a virus. Here's the situation, here's what happens. Then I know what risks I'm taking, what do I need to do? how I'm taking risks for other people, how responsible I need to be, all those things, that that is personal responsibility. And I think people, if they're given personal responsibility, they live up to the high expectations. If they are forced into, you know, doing something that just somebody in government decided they're supposed to do, then then they've lost all their ability to uh, to do the right thing. They're, they're trapped, even if the right thing isn't what the government told them to do. They're, they're trapped. They have to follow the, the government rules. We, we really need to deregulate the world. Uh, it's, and, and this control government thing that's been happening, we need to, we need to seriously uh, put the kibosh on it and move and take this as an opportunity for freedom. You know, we need to get our freedom back and, um, you know, I'm willing to die for it. So, you know, I hope other people are too. That's, that is, that is the American ethos, or at least it was. And I think we need to, to recapture that, that commitment. And I'm listening to your philosophy of education. I know you got to get going. 
I want to ask you a last question, and it's some less of a question, um, but but I see your philosophy um, in Draper University, and it's it. I I was able to visit once with with Asra and my wife Terry, and and it's kind of kind of unschooling for disruptive entrepreneurs. You just fill it with talented people, and you let them go. Give us a quick pitch for that, and I know you got to get going. And I really Good, appreciate yeah. your time. We we um, we love Draper University of Heroes, and the idea is that we put together people from all over the world. Uh, we give we put them into teams of five. It turns out that there's a magic to that, um, and then we give them challenges, and the challenges have an endpoint, but they don't. We don't tell them how to get there. And so then they have to work together and figure out how to get to that challenge. And and it's not a clear, like, point challenge. It's a it's a general challenge. Like, uh, you know, go, you know, figure out how to uh, whatever it is, how, how to make an egg land safely, or how to um, create, uh, you know, save the world from hunger or whatever. It it has. Um, each each of those challenges sort of allows the team of five to go, and they're competing with all the other teams of five, uh, to go and create and figure out ways of getting to that uh, challenge. Um, that's a big part of it. Another part of it is that we have uh, inspirational speakers that come and they talk, and then we have activities around those speakers, and then we uh, have survival training with Navy SEALs and Special Forces and Army Rangers, and we let them figure out how bad it can get, and then they realize that they can still live, and then they go, oh, well, you know, this is my downside, and everything's up from here, and then they create a business, uh, and we make sure that they, their business makes money, and then uh, by the end, they, they have a two-minute presentation to a panel of venture capitalists. And that has, uh, we've now transformed 1,200 people to, ordinary people to heroes. And uh, they've come from 86 different countries. And they've started about 350, 400 companies. Some of them have become enormous, um, worth hundreds one worth billions and one worth hundreds of millions and then many worth tens of millions um where uh and then even people who don't start businesses coming out of draper university seem to get promoted super fast uh because they're out there taking chances they're out there you know we've given we've given them the the opportunity to go fail and fail again until they succeed. And that, that makes a big difference. Anyway, it's a wonderful school. Um, I highly recommend it. I, I would uh, encourage anyone that's sort of mid-20s, uh, this, uh, this is something that will, will change your life for the better, and you will be so much better for it, and you'll have a much more fulfilling life. Uh, and it's five weeks. It's a simple thing. $12,000, five weeks, uh, change your life. Totally worth it. Uh, and then, uh, and part of the reason I do it is uh, I, I'm in the venture capital business and I want to um, improve the lives of many, many people. And we get some heroes out doing 
extraordinary things because we push them to do those extraordinary things. So that's part of the deal. Sounds like a great way to get to the land of the free and the home of the brave again. Yeah, you bet. And we want the whole world to be land of the free, home of the brave. Yeah. You know, we're not stopping at the borders. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, thank you, sir. This has been a, been a lot of fun, and I, I know you got to get rolling, and I, this is a lot of precious time of yours. I really appreciate it. My pleasure, Matt. And please uh, send me a link. I'm happy to spread it around. Cool. Thank you, sir. Okay. Good. See you. Thanks for listening to Kibbe on Liberty. Be sure to subscribe and rate the podcast. Your ratings will help us reach even more people with our mostly honest conversations with mostly interesting people.